We've all made crappy decisions, but what do you do with that? Okay, the crappy decision. Yes. That was an experiment. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. Have, yeah. Right? So even those bad decisions, what you do with that, mm. maybe it was the right decision with the knowledge and self-awareness and money and time and whatnot that you had at the time. Maybe it seemed the right decision. You do what you think yeah. you can. And as we know more, we do better. You're listening to The Leader's Lab with Dr. Charity TV. Welcome to The Leader's Lab, the podcast created to help millennial multi-passionate entrepreneurs build organize, launch, and manage their online brands and businesses without losing balance. And now, here's your host, the digital organization development consultant, cross-cultural communications specialist, and your favorite global leader, Dr. Charity C. Campbell. Hey, 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 entre leaders. Happy Wednesday. And welcome to this week's episode of the Leaders Lab Podcast. If you are new here, I am your host, Dr. Charity C. Campbell, better known as Dr. C. And I am a doctor of management, a world-class millennial global leader, an academic professional, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And here in the Leaders Lab, we talk all things entre leadership, where we take entrepreneurship concepts and leadership concepts, and we marry the two together. Here we also talk about communication skills, how to improve them, and balance as a millennial professional. And in today's episode, our highly esteemed guest is here to help us. And as she she's going to share about vision and commitment, mindfulness and resilience, and also self-compassion. So our special guest is an academic life and leadership coach who has spent her entire career in higher education, serving as everything from support staff to tenured professor. And as a coaching consultant, our special guest, which is Dr. Jennifer Askey, she works with individual academics and their teams, departments, schools, labs to define success, achieve clarity, and create sustainable plans for action, change, and growth. I am so excited to have her here with us. Entre leaders, please help me give a warm welcome to the lab, Dr. Jennifer Askey. Welcome to the lab, to the leaders lab, love. Thank you so much for having me, Charity. I appreciate this. And thank you for the warm introduction. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. And and I'm looking forward to learning new words because entre leadership and I was looking online and there's entre millennial and I love the new language. New to me, right? Old. No, listen, you just taught me something already, and it's not even a full minute entre millennial. I didn't even know that was there. So now I need to go and take a look at that. It's out there, and I I thought maybe this is part of your gig. So there's some overlap. It will be now. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for that. Entre millennial. How are you that? Okay, so you here you are. You have this very impressive track record of being an academic and life and leadership coach. And the you so you said you've spent the majority or your entire career in higher education. 
What was that for you? One year between undergraduate and graduate school, I took off and I worked as an office administrator in a machine shop. But other than that one year in a machine shop, I have been working in higher ed forever. So I, my graduate training, my PhD is in German languages and literatures, Germanic languages. And wow. I got a PhD. I wrote about 19th century historical fiction in German. I taught all sorts of 19th, 20th, 21st century German literature. I taught language, I taught film, and I did that as an adjunct all over the place for a while and moved as my husband's job moved. And it is hard for two committed academics to get a job in the same place. And after I had tenure, my husband was feeling a little underemployed and unhappy at the institution where we worked. And so he sent out some feelers and wound up with a really great job in Canada. And so we, about 11 years ago, left the United States and moved to Canada, where we've been ever since. And so I had to sort of start over again in terms of my network and what academia is, because the system's different. And so most, not all, but the vast majority of institutions in Canada are public the universities. All of the ones you've heard of are public. And because French is mandatory for school kids, at least through grade nine, it skews second language education. And German is not a thing that happens at a lot of universities, at least not in the way that would have allowed for, say, new jobs to be posted. So position, I jumped off a cliff and I knew that and I didn't. But it Looking back, right, as a coach with a new lens on that, the the jumping off the cliff and sort of willingness to figure out what comes next, maybe build the plane as I'm flying it, are really connected to my values, the value of living in the same city as my partner and my children. Mm. Because I know academic couples where she lives in one city and he lives a, a three-hour flight away and they wow in the summers and on weekends and I know lots of couples who did that and it's a huge strain and that's not what I signed up for so yeah. what is good for the family unit the move to Canada was great for the family unit it was not so hot for my career at the beginning yeah so, but thinking about where my values come into this what's more important to me my tenured position at a Midwestern university or a little bit of adventure and cool stuff for my family. And I opted for adventure and cool stuff with my family. And so have been then given the opportunity to kind of reinvent myself. It didn't always feel an opportunity. Sometimes it felt a kick in the teeth, but that reinvention process took a while for me to figure out where do I want to go with this? What do I want to take from career number one into the next phase? And through that, I worked with coaches and loved the process and was encouraged by both of them to look into it as something that I might enjoy as a profession. And they were both of the people I worked with were correct. I love it. I, that, wow. See, I admire you already. (laughs) I was, I told you how I, how you're, your bio was impressive, but hearing that you chose the values over, first of all, knowing what your values were and knowing that you valued being in the same place as your partner and not, because some of us would have taken, I can't say us because I wouldn't have, but some people would have taken the opportunity to say, 
maybe we can just try the long distance thing, You, but we'll still be together. And I love what you said. That's not what I signed up for. So being super clear about your values, but then being brave enough. And I know if I say brave, I know some people might be, but she said that she didn't really know. I consider that to be brave. It is. It is brave because it is a willingness to say, I'm not entirely sure what comes next. Yes. I'm a little worried about what comes next, but I'm not going to run away from the things that are a bit worrying. Because it's scary doesn't mean that I hide under the blankies and and don't do it. Mm -hmm. I trusted the universe to catch me. And then there were certainly times when I felt the universe had not caught me at all. And I was flailing and it was all miserable and whatnot. But that's when you find a coach or you go to therapy or you lean on your friends or you do something so that you're not falling by yourself. (laughs) There are other people going, it's all okay. Life is good. It will be okay. You just got to figure it out. I love that. I love it so much. And especially before we started recording, I was telling you about the upcoming transition for me uh, Mm -hmm. for leaving China and moving to another country. And it's one of those, it's one of the same things. It's like, I have no idea what to necessarily, I can't say no idea. I have a a slight idea of what to expect, but not the whole picture. And it's little by little, that's part of the exploration is that once you get there, then you experiment a little bit and you figure out you just explore and see what you, and then whatever opportunities come to just hope that I've done what I needed to do to prepare for the opportunities. And if not, then I need to start preparing on this level for different opportunities. So, yeah. And this notion of, first of all, I love the notion of experimentation. One of my first coaches, her name's Melanie Parrish, and she has a book called The Experimental Leader. And when we were working mm-hmm. together, because I'd published books and articles and whatnot, she had me help her write the first rough draft of this book that has now been polished and published and is gorgeous. I, She basically narrated it to me and I typed it up and asked her questions and whatnot. Uh-huh. So we had what Annie Lamont calls the shitty first draft done uh-huh. uh, several uh-huh. years ago. And so she and I talked a lot about experimentation and it's, we don't have to change everything all at once. And you don't have to know everything all at once. You can pick one thing and say, I'm going to pay attention to it and see where, if I change this one thing, what are the follow-up consequences of that? Or where where does that create bottlenecks? What do I learn by changing one thing? And so it isn't, you don't have to know it all and you don't have to fix it all and you don't have to change it all. And for me, what you said about your upcoming move and not having the whole picture, what you're doing is you're saying, first of all, I trust myself to figure it out. (laughs) And you have your own back. You know that you will figure it out. You trust yourself. And Mm -hmm. self-trust is, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. I was Mm -hmm. listening earlier today to one of your more recent episodes about the voice of your inner critic, right? And that's the script that you're listening to all the time, the you are not enough, you suck, this is going to end script, then that's going to erode your self-trust. And then when it comes to, hey, do you want to take a year's leave without pay and experiment with moving to Canada and see if that works? And you're like, if I had listened to everything's going to end horribly, this is a super bad idea, you suck, you're incapable, because that's a voice we all have, but you don't have to buy it 
<laughs> if I'd listened to that, I wouldn't have done it or it would have been more agonizing. If you're listening to that voice, you're not go- moving into your next role, into your next city with this sense yeah. of, I got my own back. Yeah. I'll figure something out because I am enterprising, smart, resourceful, creative. And, yeah. and I think that's really important for people to silence the inner critic, turn down the volume on the inner critic so that they can build that self-trust, which is basically looking back and going, oh, I have a really long history of making good decisions Mm. because they've all gotten me to where I am now. Can I tell you, I actually have a history of making both good and bad. I have, but my good decisions came my streak of good decisions started coming after the bad, the streak of bad decisions. Let me, let's just say that. Those bad decisions also got you to where you were, right? Very true. Absolutely. We've all made bad decisions. We've all been 20, right? My bad decisions was 30 too. Well, that's fine. I've all made crappy decisions, but what do you do with that? Okay. The crappy decision. That was an experiment. Yeah. Right. So even those bad decisions, what you do with that, Mm. maybe it was the right decision with the knowledge and self-awareness and money and time and whatnot that you had at the time. Maybe it seemed the right decision. You do what you think you can. And as we know more, we do better. Of course. Of course. No better. Another thing too, when you said that I've made good decisions to lead me up to where I am, And there was a part you said something about just going and exploring and really trusting in myself. I have, I said with this move in particular, before I even knew I was moving, because I really didn't know that I was going to be leaving China at the time that I'm leaving. I had no idea. I actually thought I was going to be leaving in 2023. So mentally, get this though, mentally, I started preparing myself to leave China in 2019 and 2020. Not so that I could leave right away, but because I knew that I would be leaving in 2023. Now, my thing is last year, I felt, and you, everyone who listens to the pot, to the Leaders Lab podcast and you as well, because you watch some of my other things. So, you know that I'm a kingdom believer. So the way that I, my relationship with God is a little new age. I guess some traditional people don't really care for the way that I, you know, what, but whatever. So I, this is what I said. I said, if I fail, that's not my fault. It's God's fault. I literally said that. And I know some people be like, how dare you say that? No, it's not my fault because I'm being obedient. I believe he told me to leave and go. I'm going. If I fail, that's not my fault. It's going to be up to him and his reputation because how is he going to let me go out (laughs) and fail? And I have these these wonderful people who I call my community and my family, and they're going to see me fail. And they know that I believe in him and I follow him. He's not going to, if he does let it happen, if I do fail, then I'll just, okay, it's time to get back up and let's figure out how we're supposed to succeed in this new chapter. We've already failed. Let's move forward. So it's that type of mentality that I have that I didn't have when I came to China. I didn't have that when I came to China. When I came to China, honestly, you asked me off, off the record, why China? I never, ever planned for China. Yeah, I'm just going to be honest. China was a way for me to get away. It was my ticket out. It was my ticket out. And I don't think I've ever put it that way before. People knew that I was going away just to hide a little bit, but it was my way out. I had a failing business. I had no job. And so 
that was my way out. But for you, you didn't have a failing job. It was a year after I'd gotten tenure. I had just grabbed the brass ring. I was done. (laughs) Wow. So I, I, that's why I said you're brave because it, I feel it takes courage to leave success and go into the unknown. I don't feel it takes a lot of courage to leave failure or even if it's not failure, it's just being stagnant. Intense dissatisfaction for whatever reason. Perfect. Yes. Let's run. Yeah. I was listening to her two podcasts this week, completely unrelated, where both times the podcast host was talking about letting go in order to grow. Wow. And they were talking about business. So you hit Uh this this point in your business where you're comfortable, revenue's coming in, you feel you know what you're doing, you have your Mm -hmm. systems, and you Mm -hmm. could just polish, incrementally improve, you could do that. And first of all, if that's sustainable growth for you, please do it. Nobody, we don't all need to scale to millions. If that's not your dream, don't follow it. But Mm -hmm. for the people I was listening to, you can polish and perfect whatever you got going, or you can say, how can I simplify, optimize and focus, right? Let's say my business has eight things. What if I Uh shrink that down and then my business has two things? And I focus on those and I shift a little bit by letting go and maybe carving out some excess. What do I create space for to come to me? Wow. And so this letting go of things that look successful, what does that open up in terms of opportunities? And in 2011, I didn't know that. And I didn't always feel that it was an experiment. Let's go to Canada for a year. Now, in retrospect, who sells their house and moves a family of four to another country and calls it an experiment. We were lying to ourselves. We were emigrating to Canada. We just, we, I just had this year long hedged bet with my employer. It's a year's leave without pay. Maybe I'll come back. Under no circumstances after selling a home and moving across a continent, was I going to be like, oh, yeah, sure, come back. If everything had blown up, perhaps. But yeah. We were lying to ourselves if we thought that was anything other than a massive uprooting. And so I wasn't saying let's let go of this perfectly successful career in order to make space for something better to come. But it was, okay, so you're familiar with the the academic track, right? Yeah. And then if you're lucky and the universe smiles on you, maybe you get a tenure track job. Maybe. Increasingly rare, but that happens for people. Then Mm -hmm. you spend five, six years on the tenure track, you jump Mm -hmm. through the hoops that are put in front of you in terms of publications and teaching and doing some service. Then you get tenure and then you're done. And that was set out for me as this is the path to success and happiness. And in my coaching business now, where I work one-on-one and in groups with people who are professors, in a lot of my one-on-one work, people hit tenure and they're like, now what? What's next? What's next? Because I've been jumping through all of these hoops, hitting all of these benchmarks so that my colleagues deem me worthy of permanent employment. And now, supposedly, I have a little bit more freedom. I maybe have a lot more responsibility in terms of what am I leading? Is it my turn to be department chair or whatever? But that, that letdown of now what? I think after listening this week to these two women talk about letting go to grow, how does that translate to 
to really traditional career paths that aren't necessarily entrepreneurial. What does it mean to, to get tenure based on a research profile and a teaching profile? What if you really had time to think about what could I drop? What could I change? What could I shift? Yeah. And what might career phase 2.0 look like that would be exciting mm-hmm. and generative and whatnot? So I think a lot about taking business and entrepreneurial concepts and dragging them into the academy where people don't always want to hear them because it sounds like capitalism, but let's drag these and look at what does an entrepreneurial mindset do for you if you're a researcher? It's actually really important. Cool. So so when you are in your coaching position, coaching and consulting position, you, with your own company, by the way, you work with academics and their teams as well, but you help them to create sustainable plans for action. Yep. Okay. And, but you start with a vision. What do we, because I was writing something about this yesterday. Okay. So how do you start your day? You charity, anybody else? How do you start your day? Do you start your day mm-hmm. in bed with your cell phone, reading your email? Don't do that. It's nope. not great, mm-hmm. but a lot of people do, Yeah. <laughs> but you get to the office And is the first thing you do, open your email inbox and say, what's on fire? What do I need to address today? What's an emergency? So do we organize our planning around our job and responsibilities in this really reactive place? What's on fire? What's the next deadline? What do I owe people? And a lot of times that comes via your email inbox. I think of your email inbox as else's to-do list. And it's lined up on your computer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's organizing your time planning, your task planning, your week's work according to reacting to other people's requests. Mm. That's how a lot of people, regardless of the industry you're in, approach their job. Mm. What I do with individuals and with groups is Let's start at the other end. Let's start at the creative, intentional end and say, what does success look like for me? What does success feel like for me? And this is a super interesting question to ask in academia because we've never been asked what success looks like. We have been told you get your PhD, you get a tenure track position at a research one institution, you get tenure. That is success. You work there for 30 years, you become a professor emerita or emeritus, and then you die. There is success. It is all mapped out. So being asked, what does success look and feel like for you, not for your mom, not for your dissertation director, not for your department chair, have Mm -hmm. you ever thought about what it means to you to be successful? According to my Research One PhD granting institution, they might see me as successful now, but there were a few years in there where you gave up tenure. Excuse me? You did what now? I did not do the thing that looked like success because I knew that part of my success was having an intact and loving family unit. That was super important to me. At At the end of my life, I wanted to have lived with my husband and raised our children together and helped them feel safe and secure and happy. And that was far more important to me than a certain kind of job at a certain kind of place. So figuring out what's important to you, 
and what, how that factors into your success, right? Is it your faith? Is it your community? Is it the impact your research has? Is it, mm. it, when I talk to academics, is it mentoring students, supervising graduate students, teaching students, doing community engagement? What do you really care about? Is it publishing and getting your ideas out there? Is it presenting at conferences? What are the things that light your fire that you want to do? And what's the impact of that going to be? so that you can feel successful? Is it a certain amount of money? Is it a certain title? All of those things are valid, but then identifying, I will know that I am successful when, when I am a super well-respected researcher in field X, when I've been nominated or won these kinds of awards, right? You can define what success might look and feel. That doesn't mean yeah. that you're guaranteed to hit it, but you have a compass direction to, to focus on. Yeah. And then, so once you have this vision, what does success look for me? That's when you can start prioritizing what you actually do. Because then you have to figure out, okay, if I want to be, so Charity, in your enterprise here, you're speaking to a certain audience, having a certain impact, and you're not doing this from New Jersey, right? (laughs) You're doing this from across the world and saying, look, global work is possible, it, as an English speaker, you can travel the globe and do really interesting things. You can have an impact on all sorts of people. And if that global leader reputation and profile, if that's your vision of success, how does that factor into what you do for podcasts, how you present, right. your, who you partner with, what kind of work you take on, right? All of those things, you want them to feed into, I have defined success for myself and it looks this. So I'm going to keep doing the things that point me in that direction. Okay. Yeah. And frequently, so when it comes to whether you're a professor or an entrepreneur, you get something in your email inbox and it says, Hey, I'd love to have you on board for X. And a lot of people's default is to look at their calendar and say, Oh, I have time for that. (laughs) <laughs> or they say, I should do that. Mm-hmm. A good opportunity. They've mm-hmm. not put it through the filter of, does that overlap with my vision of success? Is it part of the recipe that gets me close to that vision of success? Is it funneling into that? Or is it somebody's thing that's over here in the corner? And yeah, it's cool for them, but mm-hmm. isn't my thing. But I'll say yes to it because I have time for it, or you seem a nice person or whatever. But this notion of being intentional and creative about how you prioritize what you do, how you pick your projects, and down to how you organize your day, what's Mm -hmm. in your day-to-day tasks, what are the things that feed into that vision of success versus what are things that are just busy work that might make you feel you're doing something, but you're just spinning your wheels. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So when making this this vision and this plan and everything. How, at which part do you take into consideration the values? At the very beginning. Okay. Kind of maps up everything else. Yeah. It's on top of everything else because your success, you're only going to feel successful if you are behaving and living in alignment with your values. Oh, I love that. How much have you heard and talked about burnout? It was just in our last episode. (laughs) It was literally just in the last episode, but it's been a very recurring theme over the past It is, right? Every time you turn around, people are talking, writing, posting about burnout. A chunk of burnout, a big contributing factor to burnout is 
investing a ton of your time and emotional energy into something that is at its very root, not aligned with who you are as a human being when it comes to your values. I believe that. Yes. Wholeheartedly. And the pandemic where we have seen really clearly, does my organization give a rat's behind about me? (laughs) Then then that values clash has become super transparent to people. And so you want me to keep sacrificing my time and mental health and when push comes to shove, you you don't have my back. That's a shitty feeling. Yeah. And yeah. that is, contributes massively to burnout. Yeah. Yeah. So the kind of burnout, since, since you brought it up, you brought up burnout. So I'm going to say burnout. So the kind of burnout that is experienced in academia, do you think that it motivates? I don't know if I want to use that motivate, but do you think it motivates someone to say, you know what, I think I should try my hand at being an entrepreneur. I'm tired of this, this job. I want to ease my way into entrepreneurship, but I don't know where to start. That is such a good question, Charity, because the short answer, yes. Mm -hmm. Long answer, I, so if there are academic professionals listening to this in the Chronicle of Higher Education early June, end of May, early June, 2022, Josh Dolezal wrote an article called The Big Quit about Mm. academics leaving academia. And I was one of the three or four people he interviewed for the article. And so I have a roster of about 20 one-on-one clients and a quarter of them are looking at either really clearly what's my exit strategy. What's the next job? What's the next thing? How do I leave? Or do I have a side hustle, a side project that if I'm intentional right now, I can grow over the next couple of years so that I can at least replace my salary and have have an off-ramp of sorts. Yeah. And I think that, so in my experience with the people I coach and run into, entrepreneurship might not be the first Thing that an academic thinks of, in part because this the sort of security of a monthly or biweekly paycheck, a pension plan, all of those things seem, giving those up just seems incredibly risky. But I do have conversations with people where I'm like, I have been where you are, and I have thought those thoughts as well. Mm-hmm. And there are certain levels of privilege that certainly help, right? I'm a highly educated white middle-class woman. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I have a husband with a really stable job. I am not Mm -hmm. a single mom trying to piece things together to keep a roof over my head. Right. So that's, but if you are in academia and realizing that, okay, maybe this is not the cat's pajamas. Maybe I am giving all of my heart and soul to my students. Grading sucks up all of my time. Uh, My institution, all they want from me is more. And frankly, the pay bites. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You all I mean, need to know that. The pay bites. Oh. I used to joke that I was the worst paid professor in the Big Ten. It's just flat out. People are like, oh, what a great job. I'm like, honey, you want to see my income statements? They bite. It is not a pretty picture. And it does not equate to the work that it doesn't, it does not equate to the output that you get, that, that you give, that you contribute to the work. You do so much. And that's why people think, wow, you must love what you do because, and you get paid a lot because 
you just no well, I do it because I'm so much because you only have to work nine months a year and you have June July and August off oh would you please you know what I'm doing in June July and August all the things that I couldn't do while I was teaching your kids ding 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 and so people do the math and they're like well my hourly rate is seventeen ninety five an hour I could make that as a barista or more because tips be rolling in okay tips be rolling in exactly if you smile nicely you might make more. Add a little extra on top. That's it. Yeah. And when you're a barista, nobody fills out a teaching evaluation at the end of the semester that if you're a white guy talks about what a creative genius you are. And if you are anybody but a white guy, they talk about your clothes and your hair and your makeup and your choice of lingerie and whatever. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But the stability of that job and the fact that in your training, in getting a PhD, that job is all you've ever been taught to focus on. I think the jump to entrepreneurship seems jumping off a cliff. Mm. A lot of what I talk to clients about and and try to write and talk about is that there are a ton of entrepreneurial concepts that you're already employing as a faculty Mm -hmm. member. And Mm -hmm. if you have a bit of a safety net, right, if you're not alone in the world and have a little bit of time and space to do some experimentation, even while you're doing your professorial gig, right? What might you take those entrepreneurial things that you're already doing in terms of mindset? How might you create something else? And I think that there is an increasing appetite, not only among the professoriate, but among the public to say, I don't have to buy into a one-stop shop solution for everything. I can go here for this and here for this and here for this. And then couple that with the gig economy, which has its downsides. Absolutely. But there's a lot more flexibility in a way to earn a living than I think people who've been enculturated into traditional industries see. And that's why they seek out people, you professionals and coaches, you, because they're like, wait, you have a background in academia too? Yeah. Oh, so what are you doing now? I can just imagine the flood of questions that that people just ask you. They're like, so wait, so you did what? Oh, and, but do you have another job up there? Just, I can imagine all the questions. And then for you to say, no, I have my own consulting practice. They're like, what is that? So I can imagine because it's different when you veer off track from, yeah. yeah, Because, you know, you have the tenure track, you have the progress track. So it's very shocking when you veer off track, when you take the road, very less traveled, much much less less traveled, traveled. much less. Yeah. Yeah. You see my, you see how my English is declining, but while I live in China. And teach English to language learners where it's you know, good enunciation, but we're going to give that vocabulary just a knockdown. <laughs> I tell them all the time. I said, I got to get out of this country. I said, I love you guys, but you're messing up my English. Okay. This is unacceptable. I couldn't think it was, uh, I was around uh, some colleagues of mine on Sunday and it took me about five minutes, which is really a long time. It took me about five minutes just to, I forgot the, what the phrase was, but by the time we figured it out, all of the Americans just looked at me and was like, yeah, it's time for you to leave. It's time for you to leave China. Your mm-hmm. English is deteriorating. This is so terrible. I couldn't believe it. But anyways, yes. The How's your Chinese go? Are you learning Chinese while you're teaching English? Are you picking up Chinese? I, I, I can communicate on a toddler level that I'm very proud of, by the way. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> to tonal language, it's really hard. Go you. That's great. Thank you. Because, you know, 
toddlers speak a lot better than I do, but I can communicate. Okay. I can let them know. I've had kids in the street point at me and laugh when I was learning German as a teenager in Germany. She can't talk. I'm trying. I was about to say, if you can speak more than one language, then you already, you're already a genius. Tell that to clients and students all the time. It because, and back to taking risks and whatnot, you have been willing at some point to make a fool of yourself in front of other people. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that is, that's no joke, right? It's super vulnerable. I live in Canada where there's an entire province where French is the, the mandatory first language. And my oldest child lives there. My youngest child is moving there in August to go to university. And you learn a bit, you muddle through, mm-hmm. you hope for people's grace and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if this were German, I'd be great. But French, yeah. let me catch up. Yeah. <laughs> says It's not always a pretty picture, but you practice. And you go to Montreal and you try not to make a total ass of yourself and just mm-hmm. trust that people will accept that you're trying. I wonder, do you have local clients there? I do. Uh, when we first moved, so I live in Edmonton, Alberta, which is okay. the, the northernmost North American city with a million people. So the wow. like, road kind of stops north of here. Okay. That's not true. There are Fort McMurray, Grand Prairie. There are communities up here, but we're bigger than places like Ridge and Fairbanks and Juneau, and we're further north than anything. And But we're the home of the University of Alberta, which is one of the top five in Canada. When we first moved here four years ago, I worked at the university doing leadership development for faculty. And through that work, I made a lot of contacts. And when I knew, so I gave myself a year off ramp where I was, I'm going to quit working here and go into business for myself full time. So I created that off ramp. And in all of the programming I was doing for faculty and administrators, I made it pretty clear that I was off-ramping to do this privately full-time. And so a few of my clients have come from Hmm. the local university, but even those clients, and then my off-ramp coincided with the pandemic, so you weren't seeing anybody. But even Hmm. local clients, I generally do telephone or Zoom coaching. So this is... You're seeing the workspace here, which is the home office. I am planning on making it a bit more intentional in its setup and arrangement and whatnot. I'm not madly in love with it. I'm tired of looking at black. I need more carpet and soft surfaces. But yeah, I work from here and I work across North America. So I have clients in the Atlantic time zone, which is one hour east of the Eastern time zone in the U.S. Nova Scotia. Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland. And then I have clients in the Pacific time zone in British Columbia and California and Oregon. So it's nice to be a bit central mountain, but yeah, I work online and I work with people across all of the North American time zones. That's awesome. Yeah. That's but isn't it? So it's really, did you start your business before or after before, during or after COVID? That's a good question. So I became a coach in, see here, I started my coach training in 2016. And in 2017, I began working for myself as a coach. I was in 2017, I was a pretty good coach. I was not a great business person. Oh, okay. I didn't. And I don't think I trusted myself to be a business person. I I knew I could do the personal one-on-one 
transformational conversation stuff, mm-hmm. but how do I get paid for that? And what's right. QuickBooks all about? And I would open yeah. QuickBooks and break out in a rash. And I, I just didn't, <laughs> had not yet become that person for whom uh-huh. being an entrepreneur felt a great fit. Okay. So when we moved here and I was offered a job doing leadership development with my ideal client, I was like, yes, that's great because then it's a stable income and blah, blah, blah. But it's also working in an enormous organization that moves super slowly and where wow. my goals and my vision of success was only a teeny tiny bit of what the university was interested in. And so there were some, I would really love to go in this direction and build these kinds of things. And they were so cute. I love that. That's in principle lovely. But what we really need you to do is this over here because that serves more people and hits more of our objectives. Also good, but not my vision of success. Mm -hmm. But I had time then to watch a lot more people, to get more coaching as a business person for myself, to do a lot more reading and investigating and figuring out how this might work so that then in... I guess it was 2021. Yeah. Mm. So in the fall of, so almost a year ago when I, because I went, I was full-time then I did a few months part-time to, to ramp up my business a little bit more. And then I finally cut the cord in August. Then, and I have been busy and working full-time for myself since August of last year. So my successful run as an entrepreneur is all within COVID. But again, the decisions to get there are a longer process. And mm-hmm. you know, in my first year as a solopreneur, I maybe wasn't making all of the right strategic decisions. And I was spending a lot of time in my head, listening to my inner critic telling me, yeah, you're a good coach, but you kind of suck at business because you've never been trained to do this. And do you need to get an MBA and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and yeah. That there's this, it's another sort of coaching concept where here's my vision of success and mm-hmm. I can maybe, and I have, I have the journal pages and the roadmaps and the diagrams and I could diagram yeah. the crap out of a path to success. Yeah. And also the more important step is who do I need to be in order to do those things on that path? And that's wow. the mindset work that sometimes you got to catch up with yourself or you throw that plan out there, you know, all right, I'm going to pull myself towards that plan. I'm going to mentally reinvent myself so that I become the person that can do the things that are on my to-do list. Love it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. First of all, I want to say that it's always, I don't know if refreshing is the word that I want to use, but it, it all, it always seems like it's very refreshing when I have someone who is familiar with academia, you have experience in it, or you're currently in it. And they're also an entrepreneur, usually in the, it's always usually in the form of coaching or mentoring or consulted in, in, in some, some aspect of that. And so I'm very happy that as I am getting closest to the end of the year that, you know, that I had one, at least one, which is you. So it's like, I love it. I love it. But I think you take it to the next level because you actually, so I've never had anybody you on my show before, which is so phenomenal to me because I've had people in academia who are also leaders and who are also entrepreneurs. But here I have a leader who is an entrepreneur and coaches and consults with other academics. It's, I'm trying to, 
yeah. put it all together. But that's so powerful. It's super yeah. powerful. And so I feel like you have seen leadership at so many different stages. And so the next question that I have for you, I feel you would, you will give us a very well-rounded answer. No pressure, <laughs> no pressure. But it's the question that I ask every single guest that comes to the leader's lab. Okay. So based on your experience and your opinion, what is the one characteristic that you believe every leader must have, regardless of their background, their age, their beliefs, talents, regardless of any of those things that, what is the one characteristic that every leader should have? And of course there are multiples, but the most important one to you. Self-awareness. Okay. Please expound. Self-awareness is, do I know what my values are? Do Mm -hmm. I what strengths I bring to leadership, to collaborative activities, to the classroom, Mm. to my interactions with other people? Have I been willing to investigate some of my blind spots? If, when I have investigated my blind spots, have I been willing to invest in changing them? Or do I have a practice where I am self-reflexive enough to say, if that's not going to be my strength right now, is it an area of growth for me where I want to experiment with moving the needle on that? Or is it a mm. thing that I delegate, avoid, try to find workarounds for because it's never going to feel good to me? Introvert, mm-hmm. extrovert things. You may know you're an introvert. Okay, what are you going to do with that information? Yeah. Right? Not weaponizing your self-awareness, but okay, here's who I am as a person. And here's what I want to become as a person. What do I make of that equation? Here's who I am plus X equals here's what I want to become. Am I working with that equation a bit? Do I understand? And this is what I find so fascinating in academia, right? With this path laid out, you get the tenure track job and you're on the path and then you get tenure and you've, you've grabbed the brass ring and you're done. I, I used to love that narrative because it sounded so secure. And 10 years later, that narrative ooks me out because it implies that at some point you're done. Yeah. And you're not because you're human. Yeah. And you might have a secure job, but are you still growing and developing and learning? Because you can change, you can grow, you can expand, you can shift focuses. There's all sorts of stuff you can do in your 40s and 50s after you've hit all of those milestones. And I think a lot of people wind up in leadership roles and and in academia, sometimes you wind up in leadership roles and it's because it was your turn, not because you put your Mm. hand up and said, I want to do this. Right. The number of department chairs out there who it's just your turn and there's no vision, there's no passion, there's just fear or loathing or resentment. And I get it because it was never, they didn't go into academia to be a department chair. They went into academia to be a research biologist or something. But if you're going to do that job, then it's okay. Me, what I know about me plus X equals excellence at this job. What's that equation for you? And are you working on that? And if you're going to take on that leadership role, what does it mean for you? Who are you going to be as a leader? I bet. And that it has to be intentional because otherwise yeah. you'll just react to your colleagues. You'll react to the dean. You'll react to whatever's in your environment. And so you spend your three to five years as a chair playing whack-a-mole 
instead of saying, okay, in my three to five years as a chair, here's what I would like to accomplish. Here's how mm-hmm. I want our department to operate. Here's, do we have a strategic direction that we're following? Do we need to do changes over here? What's the financial climate? And where am I intervening in those things as a leader, not as some sort of reluctant scholar who's been thrust into the limelight? Yeah. And, and so that, that level of self-awareness is critical okay. for any leader. Regardless of the age, regardless of the industry, self-awareness. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. Listen, entre-leaders and entre-millennials, a new word that I learned today from Jennifer. Can we give Dr. Jen an emoji applause or something? Drop it in the comments below. Let's give her an emoji applause for just everything that she's contributed. And we're going to need to have her back on in season three. I would love to continue this conversation. Yes. We would need to have her back in season three. We're going to go ahead and make sure that we are, I've already declared it. So you're coming back in season three um, so that we can continue the conversation about that whole, because it's not impossible. I think we just, we think that the, since there's no blueprint to follow, that's what it is, isn't it? It's the fact that there's there's no blueprint Mm -hmm. to follow. There's no map. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. We're going to talk about that some more. Actually, you gave me an idea. I need her on a panel with with a few other. Oh, yeah. That would be tons of fun. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to make that up. We're going to, we're going to work that thing out. And that's going to be for season three. I think that's going to be so powerful. Excellent. But, I cannot thank you enough, Dr. Jen. I, in my mind, I started calling you Dr. Jen. I'm, I'm calling her Dr. Jen. That's but, fine. Uh, That's fine. I can't I thank you enough for being with us here in the Leaders Lab. I, it's been a pleasure to just sit and listen to your experience and also to think at the same time, what values, what are my values that would define success for me? Uh, especially going into this next, Your this next, next phase. Year. Absolutely. Yeah. And to realize that, that it's okay that my values have shifted. My values weren't, they're not the same as they were even just five years ago. And so to realize, especially when you were talking about values and success, and I'm just like, Hey, my values have actually changed. They've shifted to uh, maybe it's because of, becoming more mature. Maybe it's because of just experiences that I've had, but they're different. And to sit back and think about how I would define success now. Yeah. And to have a clear vision, have a clear vision about it. Yeah. yeah I'm so grateful. And I think it's okay to come back to the drawing board every now and then to see if you're still on track. Yep. yep. When I talk about vision with people, you can say when I'm dead, on my deathbed, looking back, what do I want? That's one way to do it. And some people find that really powerful. But since I'm looking at leadership and career and in, like, let's talk two to five years beyond five years, like, you have no idea. Yes. <laughs> if you do, it will come along. Oh. screw it all up for you. <laughs> two to five years. What's success going to look in that chunk of time? And then that. that kind of clarity can be really powerful. Man, this is going to be so awesome, the panel that we're going to have, because I got to have you back. I feel like you have opened the eyes for some for some academic out there who was wondering, is there all that this is? Yeah, is, is there all that this is? Yeah. And 
Dr. Jen already gave us her contact details, but yes. just in case, because you're listening to the, some of you may be listening to the audios. Of course, some of you are watching on YouTube, but don't worry. You can find all her contact details right in the show notes or the description box below. Yes. So you can just click and you'll be connected to her and let her know. You, if contact you can, her and let her know. this podcast, let me know. Say, I heard you. you on gotta say the leader's lab. And because that's. You got to let her know. You heard her on the Leaders Lab podcast. Absolutely. You got to say, hey, I tuned into you on the Leaders Lab podcast and this was blah, blah, blah. This helped me, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Because yeah. I think that would show her our gratitude for the valuable content that she has provided on today and that she will provide again in the future. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you introducing me to your audience. I think you're doing really great work. I'm super Thank excited so to see much. what comes next for you in a different country, in a different space. <laughs> International so Woman of Mystery, you. Dr. Charity C. Kim. She's going to put that on her LinkedIn bio now. I can't believe you said that. We were talking about that off camera and then she brought it on camera. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, it's great. It is so, it's modeling for people. There is more than one way to be successful. I love it. You get a doctorate in management. That does not mean you have to take the corporate job and do organizational development for the rest of your life, right? There, there right. is more than one way to do this. I love it. Oh, <laughs> she said that on camera. <laughs> International woman of ministry, mystery. I said, you know what? I said, you you make me sound Austin Powers' <laughs> second cousin twice removed, but with better you know? hair, much with, better hair. That's what she. She said with better hair and better teeth. Yes. Oh, that too. Woo. That too. Listen, thank you so much again. I cannot thank you enough for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. And listen, for those of you who are tuning in, I want to say thank you so much for rocking with us this week. You could have, you really could have tuned into any other podcast. You could have watched any other video. You could have done anything other than be right here with us, but you chose to be here. And I'm so grateful that you, you stayed for the valuable content. And I really hope that what Dr. Jennifer Askey has provided and shared through her experience, that it has touched you in a way, and also that it will give you some ideas and some courage to help you become the leader the better leader that you are trying to become in your journey. It's a process. Nobody, it's not something that happens overnight. You will have many decisions to make, but she said, make sure that your decisions are made based on your true values. And of course, that's about that self-awareness and knowing who you really are so that you are making the right decisions that will be for you and not based on someone's idea of success for you. So I really hope that you gained some wisdom out of this. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Leaders Lab podcast. You can download today's episode so you can play it over and over again. Rate, comment. I already told you to subscribe, but rate and comment and then share so we can continue reaching millennial entre leaders all across the globe. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, what are you waiting for? Silly goose. Go ahead and subscribe. <laughs> Go ahead and subscribe. Yes. Thank you. Subscribe. And don't forget to, you don't have to smash the button. You can just gently and then comment. Let us know how you, what were your primary takeaways from this episode? And then make sure that you do connect with Dr. Askey. Please make sure you do that and tell her you found her 
right here on the Leaders Lab podcast. This is all that I have for you on today. If you haven't connected with me on social media, everywhere you can find me with the handle at Dr. Charity TV. And I look forward to seeing you next week in the lab. Thank you for listening to the Leaders Lab podcast. Visit our website at www.drcharitytv.com and follow us on all social media platforms with at Dr. Charity TV.